Happy versus Flourishing, episode 18. Welcome to the podcast where we give you ideas on how to improve your quality of life in some way. And this episode is slightly different. We go into the realms of education and it's much more focused on the education system in the UK. So this may be of less interest to some of our international audience and even some of the people without kids because this is really going to be relevant to anyone who has children probably 12 years to around 16 years old especially for those children who are 15 and 16 and will be doing their GCSEs coming up because we speak to Paul and Emily Hughes who run a company called Parents Guide to GCSE And they've developed a a course and a system where they help parents who have children going through their GCSE exams, which will be our next year. And it's a real minefield because there's there's so many things that the children are given um, where they often are in need of help from their parents, but the parents don't know how to help them. And this is where Paul and Emily come in. And they've developed all sorts of different materials to help the parents help the children. So we're going to find out a lot more about that coming up. If you do like this podcast, it would really be helpful for us if you do leave a review because a lot more people get to find out about the podcast when you leave a review. Please just be honest with how you find it. If there's any room for improvement, then then let us know in the review. Why not subscribe while you're there so you get to know about the podcast every week when it's released on a Tuesday lunchtime. Right now, it is time for this week's show. Happiness versus flourishing. My guests today are Emily and Paul Hughes. How are you? Good, very, thank you very much. Very good, thank you. How, How are you? you? I'm pr- well, pretty good, apart from I was saying to you just now that I've got no heating and uh, hot water. But other than that, life is fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> And um, we find you in, is it Peterborough today? It is indeed. It's beautiful and sunny, but yeah. it is Peterborough. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been living there for quite a while. Yeah, I've been here for the vast majority of my life. Um, when did you move to Peterborough? I think, I went travelling when I was about 27. And when I came back, I, I started my first real job in Peterborough. I've never really left since, so. Mm-hmm. Well, for those, uh, we've got quite a few listeners in other countries and so for those people who maybe aren't familiar with Peterborough do you want to explain where it is? We are about an hour north of London. Anyone who's ever gotten a train to go north from London to Edinburgh will know where Peterborough is it's it is the the first big stop basically. And you're involved in well in education that'd be the right description? Well we've both been teachers for Forever, it seems like. We did uh, 31 years between us in the classroom. Um, but Emily gave up about three years ago. Well, didn't give up is the wrong word. Um, decided to change uh, change career. And um, I only resigned last year, but we now run the Parent Guide to GCSE and the Parent Guide to Post-16. So kind of taken what we know from our years in teaching and what we know from our old joyful experiences of parenting teenagers and combined the two to then support parents. So we're kind of working from the outside in now rather than uh, from inside schools. So, yeah. And when you say to support parents, so what, what do you mean by that? What, what was it that you felt parents really needed guidance with? 
the the epiphany for me came when um so our, our daughter is was in primary school and we were part of a facebook group for parents and one of the parents posted on the facebook group can anyone help with this maths homework it's bar modeling and i've got no idea and as a maths teacher uh, i sort of went ding i know this but that's because i've been trained in it that's because it's you know it's a newer thing that we've taken from singapore and so parents will never have met it at school totally new method and if your child doesn't understand it there's no way they can explain it to you so there's not a lot of ways that you can help them with that stuff and that made me realize that there really just isn't anything out there to support parents because what you want as a parent is just to be able to help your children. You don't want to watch them struggle. You want to be able to give them the right nudges in the right direction so that they can get more and more independence. So you can let them go off and be an adult when they're ready and, and trust that they'll be OK. But you just want to support them in the meantime. And and there just wasn't anything, just nothing. <laughs> There's bajillions of pounds being spent on tutors and revision guides and all sorts of things. But there's nothing that helps parents to understand what's going on in schools and what they need to do to help their children make the most of their study time. So particularly heading into GCSEs, we talk, you know, mindset and study skills, because those are the two big things that make the biggest difference. And if you don't know what effective revision looks like, then um, odds are you fall into the trap that we fell in hmm. with, with one of the kids. Well, I guess this year with the whole um, pandemic and homeschool, homeschooling and everything, you must have been, um, well, just inundated. <laughs> well, I think we're at the right place at the right time, but it's, it's, still been, uh, it's still been tricky because we're, everything that we try to do is built towards GCSE exams. When all of a sudden GCSE, GCSE exams are cancelled, that wasn't ideal. Uh, and there's just so much confusion for parents, which I suppose in a way worked in our favour because uh, Emily did a stellar job of essentially interpreting all the vague government announcements um, via our Facebook page and explaining what it actually meant in terms of two parents. This is what they're trying to say rather than the sort of fairly convoluted language that they would use to you know, um, try and explain a situation. Yeah, so it's just been about being there for people and helping them figure out, you know, what what this means for them. We'd we'd started up. It's been a year and a half now, so we'd started with the the academic year that ended with then exams being cancelled. So we didn't even get through a full year as we'd planned, and we had to very much change up what we were doing. Uh, so we run basically a membership for parents. So the idea is as a parent, you sign up, you get then weekly emails with bite-sized chunks of information to help you help your child. It's like a, a one thing to do this week that will make a difference. So when exams were then cancelled, that kind of threw our, our timetable out of the window just a tad. And we had to rethink. And I think actually that it was it was one of the, one of the best things that could have happened in terms of making us think outside the box, because we got to be a lot more creative with the stuff that we covered. So we did things like financial education, so covered payslips and um, savings and credit cards. Yeah, all of the stuff. Payday loans. Yes, all the stuff that you wish your child knew more about, but you, you know it doesn't get taught in schools particularly because there isn't time in the curriculum. And so we were able to, to go off on a bit of a tangent and do some really useful life skills with, with parents and help prepare children for, for year 12. 
which uh, which then made a difference. So we were very, very lucky that our parents believed in what we were doing and and stuck with us through it. And uh, yeah, it, it could have all gone horribly wrong, but it didn't. <laughs> it also made us think about, because we had year 11 parents, we only, so in our first year, we only um, essentially were open to year 11 parents. Because we're now in our second year, those year 11 parents are now year 12 parents. So Parent Guide to Post 16 was born pretty much mid-lockdown because we were thinking about how, you know, the direction that the business was going to take. And um, it gave us the sort of the time to sit down and plan uh, a really sort of good, strong membership for, for the year 12, year 13. So, yeah. The parents that you're helping, so how, how much time would they typically need to, to be looking at this material each week? It's actually it's designed to be really small chunks, uh, as Emily just said. So it, it, the email um, is also videoed, so they, they can um, either watch or, or read. And it's generally about five, six minutes long, so it's, it's small. And it's time to be you know, at the right point of whichever year group their child is in. Um, so it really doesn't take an awful lot of time, but it's, it's information they probably need to know about specifically for example as they're approaching mocks which they're probably doing at the moment we do a big section on sort of build up to mocks and what to take from mocks and how to deal with you know the uh, the feedback and the pressures etc so it's it really is not designed to be um anything arduous it's just small bite-sized but targeted yeah parents have more than enough on their plates at the moment particularly right now and so we wanted it to be something that was really simple but really effective. And our, the best advice we can give is that parents sit down and actually either read or watch the advice each week with their child because then you kind of two birds with one stone, you watch the advice, you have a quick conversation about whatever it's about, leading into possibly a conversation about school. Because for those of you listening with teenagers, you are probably familiar with the grunting and the eye rolling that you normally get when you ask about school. Teenagers tend to switch off when it's their parents trying to give them advice and think they know everything. And so finding that little workaround for parents whereby you're actually getting advice from experts instead, let's sit down and watch this together and figure out what we're supposed to do this week. That takes away those those barriers from the teenagers. So it it makes a big difference in helping to get through to your child and have productive conversations about school rather than arguments about school, which is more normal. (laughs) And what kind of feedback have you been getting? It's been overwhelmingly positive. I think um, my my favourite was when I was described as someone's rock through the entire situation, uh, which obviously won't happen, I don't think, not during normal years. But this year, I think... There's just been so much, not not misinformation, but so much vagueness, so many differing viewpoints. Um, you know, something will happen, and depending on which newspaper you read, will decide whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. And that isn't helping because it's just stressing parents out more. So being able to be there and be that voice of reason in the middle, this is what it actually means for you. That's that's been a massive deal to a lot of parents. That's what we're what we're hearing. So we're, we're a bit sad that we didn't get the official results day results because they didn't do proper, in inverted commas, exams last year because we were looking forward to getting all of those smiley pictures of parents with like their child and their results clutched in their hands and big grins on their faces. So we've still got that to look forward to. 
when we have a normal year. <laughs> it's definitely on the plan for this year at the moment, but uh, we're only in sort of early on in the year, so who knows what will happen with the government as we go through the rest of the year. Indeed. I mean, you mentioned just then about the feedback you got from some of the parents. Do, I just wondered, do any of the kids, have they ever been in contact with you? We, we had, um, so Denise and her daughter Amy were some of our original members and they're now, they've now carried through to year 12. And we asked for, you know, if anybody had any feedback and she wrote us a lovely little story, her testimonial, you know, here's how it was for me. I knew that I wanted to be able to help her and it had been so long since I did my GCSEs I didn't really know how. And then Amy chimes in and has written her own little thing. When mum told me she'd signed up for this, I was like, seriously, I don't need you getting involved. I'm okay. I'm on track. I've got this. She said, but I'm so glad she did because there were just, it's little things like the websites that we recommend that she hadn't heard of and the fact that it stopped them from arguing about revision and things, or at least, you know, much less arguing because they're teenagers. There's always going to be something. I think she actually valued that 10 minutes a day sitting, uh, 10 minutes a week, sorry, on a Sunday, probably when the email lands, sitting there discussing with them. I mean, it opened the lines of communication and, mm. and I think made a huge difference. That's only one, um, one family, but that's the story we've been generally hearing across uh, all of our members. Yeah, we, we like to have uh, Zoom chats wherever possible with members and their children, just to have a bit of a catch up. Sometimes just children, sometimes just members. And uh, I've, I've had comments like, um, she seems really nice and funny, not like a teacher at all. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not quite sure what to make of that, but I'm taking it as a compliment. <laughs> I imagine as well there's a possibility that in the um, the parents looking at these emails, videos on a weekly basis, in some ways it's, it's going to be it's going to be of help to them maybe in their own business or whatever work it is they do. Oh, totally. We do a lot of mindset stuff, very much so, because it is all about you know the the way that you approach things and whether you look at these things as an opportunity or as a threat. Things like mocks, in particular. Uh, and yeah I think there are a lot of lessons that can be extrapolated I, I know we've had some really positive feedback from parents about our goal setting masterclass so we always start off with students with trying to get them to go through this to help them clarify what they want their future to look like so um, they go through basically a series of different little activities to draw out what life could look like for them in 10 years time just in terms of where they're living and what salary they therefore need to be earning. So they get to do a bit of house shopping, which is always popular. And uh, and then we talk them through, you know, what are your skills? If you won that amount of money each month, what would you do with your day if you didn't have to work? How would you choose to spend your time? Is there a way you can turn that into a job? Here are some suggestions. So that they can start to design what their life's going to look like in 10 years. Because too many of us fall into a job when we leave school or uni and it's you know it's what's available at the time or it seems like a good plan or oh my gosh they're paying me lots of money which seems like a fortune when you are just come from being a student but then you know 20 years later you realize you're still in the same job I mean Paul retrained as a teacher he had a career beforehand before the boys were born and yet when he started teaching, he ended up staying in the same school for 16 years and was not entirely happy at that school, let's say, by the end of it. But you, you stay there because it's 
it's easier and it's convenient and you new is scary so if you design for 10 years ahead and you you have that big goal in mind not only does it help you get there and help get you to a, a job that you love it stops you from just focusing on the exams because the exams aren't a big motivator particularly it's all about what happens next and what doors the exams open so it's about looking at the bigger picture and going yeah short term this is painful I've got to do the revision but look what's coming next and it's the same principle as long as they've got their why why it's important to do it it makes the there's no hack to revision it's got to be done if you want to get the results you're going to have to sit down and just put the hours in but knowing what can be at the end of it and why you're doing it just makes makes it so much easier for them to sit down and do do the time as it were yeah and what parents have said is like i i sat down and did this with my child because i thought it was really interesting and oh my gosh i'm seriously thinking i need a career change now because i'm seeing all these doors open all these possibilities that i hadn't thought about before and so yeah it turns out that house shopping is very popular with both teenagers (laughs) and parents and I mean, a few minutes ago, you mentioned about that you'd been helping them, or some of the some of the topics you covered, including um, budgeting and um, credit cards and so on. And as far as I'm aware, that that's nothing that's ever covered in school, unless things have changed. No, absolutely not. I mean, it's so uh, it's such an important life skill. Um, there was a little bit of maths uh, involved in compound interest and what have you that gets maybe one two lessons across the entire. GCSE, um, you know, two years of GCSE, but things like, um, as we said, credit cards. I mean, there's so many people who get into massive problems because they don't know how to manage their money. They don't know, they don't understand what that debt means. And if they get too far in for their earnings, how they probably can't ever repay it. And we gave some, uh, in the course, we gave some very good examples about if you earn, um, owe a particular amount, showing how much interest is on that, how much you then have to repay, how much it doesn't take off the actual chunk that you owe. And there comes a point where you actually never pay it back. You literally just are always just above keeping your head above uh, water. So, um, and without knowing that, kids may go in and get a credit card and just end up in huge debt. Yeah, it's much easier to learn less money. They'll do what their parents have done. That's what kids tend to do isn't it yeah we also did um, and this was quite scary to both of us actually we did a thing about savings um it's very easy for a parent to say oh you should save money and i'm sure my parents did it i'm sure emily's did as well but we've we've we always earned good money we've been very fortunate but we have always kind of always spent it i suppose Uh, and there's no easy way of saying this but we haven't been as sensible as we could have been so when i was doing this how to save money i was talking about putting about 10 percent of your paycheck to one side, which is you know fairly standard, I think, if you read enough books about it, which we haven't done. But I worked out how much that would have been for us over the last fifteen years or so, and it was it was a crazy, stupid amount of money that would pay our mortgage off. And that ten percent, we wouldn't have missed it because you know we hmm. you know we just enjoy ourselves too much, you know, too many holidays, too many you know Costas, too many Starbucks. Um, it wouldn't have been a big sacrifice to put that money to one side, and we would now be mortgage free. Um, so it's it's quite scary to look at, and I think as a teenager, knowing knowing how that could work out for them would make a big difference. And I imagine if you were to do a survey in in an average supermarket and ask a hundred people what APR is, for example, probably ninety five percent of them would get it wrong. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. it's just not covered ever at school. Yeah, no understands it. Regardless. You can compare rates, but nobody really understands what it means and, and the compounding effect that it then has on your debt. So, yeah. And, and something you mentioned just now, Paul, it, it's, a, it's a vital life skill. It's not just important. It's, it's so huge for your whole life. Well, it can define families. You know, if they're living in debt, uh, it's so difficult to ever get out of it. If you can avoid putting yourself in that position in the first place, then, um, then that's, that's got to be the way forward. Things like payday loans, again, we covered. You, know, you borrow 400 quid. It's not a lot of money, but you have to pay back, for example, 480 quid it doesn't sound like a lot of money but most people stats would show having researched it most people don't pay it back in that first end of that first month so they then have to go into another agreement and it just it just it's a, it's completely absolutely snowballs to, to a point where they are beholden to the company for every penny they ever earn it's um it is so scary but more than just that i mean one of the things that's going through my mind is i'm sure i heard one of the biggest arguments in most relationships is is normally sort of around finance so it's even going to affect them in in that way it's going to help their relationships as well yeah yeah definitely we we are very big believers in the fact that it's not just about grades on a piece of paper at the end of the course whether that's GCSE or or post-16 it's about helping your child to be that well-rounded young adult so that whatever they face next be that the apprenticeships, jobs, whatever, they're ready for it. And so we do like to throw in odds and ends of other stuff. Things like we're looking at um, learning to learn at the moment. That's my, my next project. Because things like learning to speed read is a skill that can be taught and makes a massive difference. We talked a lot in, um, in March when schools were first closed to everyone except um, key worker children. We talked a lot about doing important things like learning to touch type. Pretty much every job, everywhere, or at least every life involves having to type at some point or another. There's not a lot of things, you know, whether that's just writing emails to people or typing in your status update on Facebook. Learning to touch type speeds everything up. But it's not still as taught in schools anymore. And there are plenty of free programs out there that do it. Um, Typingclub.com, I think, was the one we, we found but we were getting our daughter to learn because it just it genuinely makes a difference, particularly at school when you then have to hand in essays and things. So little tips and tricks like that, memory tips and tricks, because you you can make sure that your brain is becoming stronger and faster and more efficient all the way through your life because neuroplasticity means you can. Every new thing that you learn, every new link that you make in your brain makes it stronger and better. But if you don't know that and you don't understand that concept, then you can either write yourself off as, oh, I'm not smart enough to do that, which lots of people do. Um, or you can, I don't know, not, not push yourself, not discover what you're actually capable of because you don't try enough stuff. So um, learning those, those tips, those techniques, those tricks that can make a massive difference as well to being a lifelong learner. And I think that's vital, particularly in business, is to always be learning, always. I'm an avid reader of business books and uh, and I think it makes a massive difference to what we do. 
couple of years ago, I was very pleasantly surprised to discover my daughter, who at the time, I think she was about eight or nine, and I found out that in her school they'd been doing some um, growth growth learning, they'd been covering that, a growth mindset, sorry. Mm -hmm. And I was so happy to discover that, and I, I wondered whether that was a something that was done in all schools or if it was just her school? I mean, it, do, you, do you know much about that? It was very popular at one point. I got sent on a, a training course. I was head of maths at the time and I was asked to run a whole staff training session on growth mindset and they sent me off on a seminar and I got to hear Carol Dweck, who basically created the whole theory, got to hear her talk about it, which was amazing. Um, but, yeah, it was it was one of the fads that has been gone through and some schools are still doing bits and bobs with it. Some schools haven't. It's down to the level of training that teachers got and how comfortable they felt with it, I think, at the time. Yeah, it's one of the massive frustrations about schools is they they have fads, as Emily says, so something will come in and schools will absolutely run with it. They'll put huge amounts of money into it for a year or so and then probably not just not see it through, not make sure it is embedded within their students and uh, something like growth mindset is is huge. If you can get that right, it makes such a difference to the learning culture of a school. But a lot of schools, one, didn't engage in the first place, and two, just simply didn't see it through. And now I think it is starting to not die a death, but it's not as it's not as popular as it used to be, even though it's very difficult to argue how really powerful it is. Yeah, it's, just, it's about the consistency. It's very much like in business. If you have a, a fat way or all I'm going to be on social media all of the time and then that you you don't stay and do that consistently then it doesn't have the long-term impact because you haven't been doing it consistently it's not that it wouldn't have worked it's that you didn't give it long enough and we I think are all guilty of going through fads not just schools <laughs> you mentioned just now about um teaching kids to, uh, sort of things like speed reading and, and about learning and and would you be covering things along the lines of like spaced repetition and, and so on to help them to, to learn things so it stays in their mind? Yeah, that's something that we're, uh, we're quite big on is just making sure that if, if students have to revise, which they do, we're, we're huge fans of making sure it's really effective. So something like spaced repetition is, is just absolutely vital to making sure those long-term memory bonds are formed. So uh, we plan that into all of our sort of the various years that we cover through from year 10, 11 to uh, currently year 12. Um, we'll be doing year 13 next year, but space repetition does occur uh, in all of our programmes because it is so important. And I wonder if, um, I mean, are you both familiar with the concept of memory palaces? Vaguely, but not familiar, familiar. I've looked into uh, more Dominic O'Brien stuff and then, Jack Black and his, um, oh, and it's gone mind something. Um, I've read a couple of Dominic O'Brien books. Um, there's a 52-week um, something or other. Yeah, he's got some great memory techniques. And he, he talks a lot in some of his books about um, memory palaces, which is essentially is just a way of remembering huge chunks of information. You know, like it could be, you could actually use a memory palace, for example, to memorize a book not not word by word but all of the key concepts in a in a particular book or, or whatever uh, yeah mind store for the record jack black mind store and um, yeah similar sort of process it's more about training your brain to look at different ways that things could be and look for the positives and so on than uh, 
vast quantities of stuff. But yes, I shall, I shall add that to my research list. And I, and I just wonder, I mean, and the reason for bringing that up, because you talked about learning to learn, which isn't something, as far as I'm aware, that, that kids generally are doing and even learning how to think more effectively. So I just wonder how concepts like that, and as you said, speed reading, space repetition, it's just going to, rather than just rote learning, which is so easily, well, sometimes it seems like there's no point in it because you do the rote learning just to get past an exam now and then in a year's time they don't remember anything about that. So what was the point? Yeah, absolutely. It's not, it's not lifelong learning. It's learning to the end of June, probably, yeah. just to get you through the exam. I mean, teachers are wonderfully creative at coming up with different ways of remembering things, particularly linking concepts together, which obviously really helps with memory. Um, but in terms of the GCSEs, because a large chunks of them are things that let's let's take an individual student who wants to go on and do a particular thing half their GCSEs are going to be things they never think about again just because unless they go on a quiz show that's the only time they would want to be thinking about that kind of stuff if you're not going on to study maths after GCSE you are let's face it never going to use simultaneous equations again for example so I think it's it's more the psychology of kids writing stuff off as I don't need to know this after the exams that causes that issue there isn't particularly rote learning in schools anymore just because it, it you know it, it doesn't work it's dull for everyone it's um it's frustrating it's just I think it's the the challenges that are put upon schools that's that's the bigger issue for me the um the constant pressure in terms of league tables and Ofsted and the totally subjective nature of an Ofsted inspection where you know, it, it depends on what they think is good as to whether they think your lesson is good. Again, depending on which fad they've bought into, mm-hmm. you, know, you can do an amazing lesson. But if they think group learning is everything and you don't sit your kids in groups, you're not going to do so well and vice versa. So, um, so yeah, they, I think teachers would like to have a little bit more freedom to be more creative. But they do a fantastic job within the constraints that they have. Well, and, and the amount of time they have to put in for, I mean, last week I attended a, a Zoom online parents' evening because obviously we, they can't have a face-to-face parents' evening at the moment. And, and I was thinking about it, that the number of kids in my daughter's year, I was thinking how much, there must have been hours they were just on a Zoom call with parents. But that's no different to most parents' evenings where it's generally anywhere between three and four hours, maybe with a break in between just to do five minutes with each parent. And that was one of of the reasons we thought uh, in the first instance about Parent Guide to GCSE and Post-16 is that parents get so little time with the teachers. It's it's just that five minutes, ten minutes if you're really, really lucky – is not enough time to get the information across about how that child can improve, what they need to do to improve, um, how better to revise for exams, how better to prepare for endotopic tests. And the five minutes just simply isn't enough. So we're hoping to bridge some of that gap. Is it sort of customizable? Say, for example, one particular parent comes and their kid has decided this is the direction they want to go in. So then would you customize the material for, for that? 
Yeah. We get lots of requests by email from our members, and if they need something specific to their child, then uh, you know, most of the time we can accommodate quite easily. Um, one of the things that we do is for each group, we have once a fortnight a drop-in Q&A session on our Facebook, uh, our private members' Facebook group. So we'll just hop on live and answer any questions that anyone's submitted beforehand or has on the day. And so if they've got particular questions about, you know, something specific to their child, which is usually what we get, uh, that's the time that they can get those answered. So two of those a month means that most of that is covered. It's just when there's something, I don't know, something that's maybe a little more personal or something that is a bit more urgent, then people ping us an email. And uh, we often get questions like, you know, I'm still having a little bit of trouble getting through to my child. They're a bit stressed about this, or they've got a revision plan, but they're not really using it. Could you talk to them? And then we'll hop on a Zoom and have a little chat and see if we can help to bridge that gap of communication and, and help them get on the right track. So... You mentioned just then about um, child may be stressed about whatever. I wondered how this year with all that's gone on, and there's obviously a lot of people who are, are extremely stressed about everything that's been going on. I wonder how the kids have been dealing with it. Would you know much about, or well, certainly with the kids that you've been working with, how, how they've been? I, the, everyone is massively struggling with it. Kids are really, really, I don't know, stressed frustrated and panicky anxious and it's to do with the uncertainty so at this point as we record um scotland have said no gcse exams they're going to do something equivalent but no final exams wales have also said the same thing about gcse exams and a levels and yet we're still saying no it'll be exams they've pushed it back three weeks which really is not a lot of time in fact, the English language exam has been brought forward from where it would normally be, so it's earlier. Um, and because kids aren't daft, they're looking at the various U-turns that have already happened and thinking, well, hang on a minute, I'm, I'm working my socks off to get this organised and ready for exams. They're, they're just going to U-turn again. And that level of uncertainty is causing a lot of stress. And it's basically meaning that students are looking at their each test that they do, end of topic test, mock exam, whatever it is, thinking this could be something that is going to be used by the government or by my teachers to to to, to, to determine my <laughs> try saying that uh, to determine their um, final grades. So it's almost like having GCSEs every month. That pressure, that stress, every single test. They're thinking yeah. it really could be something that is absolutely vital to their overall final grade. Whereas actually it's just a teacher checking in on their understanding at a particular topic or a particular point in the course. Yeah, and then given that everyone's pretty much doing mocks around this period, some are waiting until January, but many are in in sort of November time or early December. There are then, I mean, one in five kids at the moment is off because they're isolating, either because they're ill or because they've been in contact with someone one in five kids is currently missing up to two weeks of school, depending on whether they're able to get tests and things. And so as a year 11 student, if that happens to you a couple of weeks before you're supposed to be doing your mocks, you can imagine the panic that kicks in. And then there's the whole, can I actually access the online stuff that school is setting? Because schools are doing their best. But if kids don't have access to the technology or the, the Wi-Fi at home, 
then that's you know that's something that we can't do an awful lot about and the government laptops haven't really materialized at all and uh, and have been cut dramatically very quietly and it, schools are really struggling to support students i mean schools have massive staff shortages as well at the moment it's again something that's not been particularly reported in the media but if you uh, think about a snow day snow days get called in to the local radio station usually shortly before kids would have to set off for school for the most part and that's because head teachers don't call a snow day until they've had a certain percentage of staff phone in and say I can't make it because of the snow because the reason schools close is because they can't provide enough staff to legally look after those children at the moment there are a lot of staff that are having to go off isolating and there isn't the supply staff kind of there isn't the budget because that's already spent supply staff for the year I think in most schools is already spent if if schools can't can't provide the staffing levels for for students there's a lot of cover lessons happening you know if kids don't have their proper teacher it makes a difference and that's something that schools aren't really being allowed to have control over because uh, the DfE have stepped in and said schools may not close under any circumstances it's a national decision that we make and schools aren't being allowed to make that judgment call about when they can safely provide education for students in school and when it has to be remotely and and that's a huge challenge at the moment and again is adding to everyone's stress levels teachers at the moment are ridiculously stressed I think I've just read it, read something this morning about the majority of teachers seem to be reporting suffering from insomnia because their stress levels are through the roof at the moment. And uh, you wouldn't believe it reading the papers because apparently all teachers are super lazy and only work what, mm. 39 weeks a year and then have all of the weekends off. That's not really the case at all. And teachers are on their knees at the moment. We got a text message from a friend um, middle of last week. He's a maths teacher. And it basically said, um, how do I go about setting myself up as, not, as, a, as a maths tutor? I think somewhere in between what he was trying to say was, I can't deal with this anymore. I need to get out. I need to do something different. It's just too much for him. And students can see all this happening. And, and so they're, they're taking on everybody else's stress because it is, I mean, stress is infectious. If somebody in your house is stressed out, they snap at you, you get stressed out. And so it continues. So, um, yeah, I think mental health is the biggest concern at the moment for students. And if the teachers are stressed, and naturally that's going to impact on the what they're able to teach to, to the kids. So the kids are going to be affected as well. So it's just everyone loses. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and then, I mean, most classes across most subjects are way behind on the uh, content that should have been delivered by now. And that all comes back to the teacher again to try and squeeze everything in. So... You know, how do you teach a topic but do it as quickly as possible and you can't check that the students have understood it but you've then got to move on to the next topic because it's on the schedule and you, your schedule's been um, condensed, condensed <laughs> hugely. Um, it's, yeah, it's just it's so difficult. It's yes. not a great situation but teachers are doing absolutely the best uh, they possibly can do. and um, Twice a lot of the time because they're teaching the students in their classroom in front of them and they're having to set work and potentially teach via online students that are isolating. So it's two jobs in one at the moment. It's madness. You mentioned before about a lot of this is because of Ofsted um, targets and so on. Are you aware of, or 
which countries do you think are handling this, have got a much better approach to all of this, to education in general? Many of them. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I find that reading about other countries and how they handle education so much better than us tends to just depress me. So <laughs> I've not done a lot. Um, I think there are um, there are places who equally you know test kids half to death, um, but it's it's cultural differences that I think don't get included in the, the stats a lot. There isn't there isn't anyone I can pick out that. Okay, well, let me let me put it a different way then. If you had the power now to to con- to change what happens in in the education system, what what changes do you think should be made? <laughs> put a group of teachers yeah. in charge of education policy, yeah. rather than a government committee who changes every four years. And whenever we get a new government. They feel the need to, I don't know, stamp their mark on education. Look at us, we're making a difference. And things get changed. Just when we're starting as teachers to get our heads around the new system, it's all pulled out from under us and and we have to start again. So I think if people were in charge of the situation who had actually worked in a classroom, been at the chalk face, so to speak, rather than just people who think they understand how education works because... They went to Eton once. Mm-hmm. I think that would help. Yeah. I mean, a really good example of that is um, when there was the issue about uh, exam grades being used. Um, uh, sorry, exams what? not being yeah. sat, so mock exam grades were going to be used. That was an announcement at sort of midnight from uh, the Secretary of State for Education. And teachers across the land were like, well, you can't use mock exams because they're all sat at different times. They're not the same paper. Um, some do exams in early November. Some do them in late February. Um, some do them in some, the hall. Some, some do them in the, you know, in the in the exam hall. Some do them at the back of the classroom. Some do them for homework. It's it, there's just no kind of level playing field at all. But it was the education secretary who said this, and it was it was very very clear from the announcement. He had no idea what mock exams were and how they worked and how they're administered across different schools, different um, different settings, and it was just really frustrating. And, and not helpful, frankly. Yes. And how are the... Um, I'm wondering... You know, it's a long time since I was at school. And I'm just wondering how the exam system that we have in place in the UK, do you think it, it meets its goal? Or is, or is there a better way of, of testing kids or trying to help kids to succeed in, in later life? I think there's got to be a better way. Because at the moment, the, the system that we have is designed to um, to get kids, I don't know, skills that aren't necessarily quite so relevant nowadays. Creativity is far more important as a skill nowadays than knowing certain facts about certain things. And it's something that hasn't had the same emphasis placed on it in fact they're forever cutting funding to arts subjects if you think about most jobs they involve some form of creativity particularly in business and um, you know creating creative writing when you're writing your marketing emails and things you know design stuff when you're creating materials or websites or whatever all of that stuff isn't covered in the same way at the moment and the exam system 
we, we went away from the modular stuff and from coursework for good reasons at the time. I, you know, coursework has always been a little bit iffy in terms of how how well kids are supported at home and helped along. Um, but um, but at the moment, the exam system tests. Do you have a good memory and can you express yourself on paper really well? Um, heaven help you if you are dyslexic, for example, you get a little bit of extra time, but still you're going to really struggle because it's all about writing and reading mm-hmm. and and not not allowing, as I said, that creativity to, to shine through. I think there are arguments for and against the current exam system. I would probably suggest that against would be where I would land. <laughs> but I'm not sure I know what the right answer is. Uh, the frustrating thing is we talked about governments and um, I think it was four or five years ago, maybe a bit longer, where they uh, the change, announced the change from the um, grading A, th- A, th- A to F um, for the number system, nine to one. And no, I don't think, as far as we're aware, teachers were really consulted about how to make the changes effective uh, or what was in the best interest of uh, you know, students and teachers to make sure it was a, a good system that could be supported for years and years to come. It was a one government, we need to make a change, this is what we're going to do. And it just didn't seem particularly well thought through. Why start with a nine rather than a ten? What's you know, <laughs> Who came out with that? Well, and, and what's the point? It's st- you're still grading them in predefined chunks. What's the point in changing it from between nine and one and A's and G's mm. that everyone understands? And then to go nine to one, where the old O-level system was one to nine, so it was the other way around. So a lot of employers will be looking at a one and going, that's amazing. No, that's not amazing. A nine is now amazing. Um, and it's just unnecessarily confusing. Mm-hmm. And the with my conspiracy theory hat on, I'm going to say one to nine, with nine being the highest, is probably so that at some point we can move the goalposts again and add in a ten. Because... Mm-hmm. Nine is what, an A-star, star-ish? And I'll give you an example. When our twins went through and did their GCSEs, their results looked, well, they, they got great results. However, the actual piece of paper showed that they got um, eights and nines for some subjects. They got A's, B's and C's for other subjects. And they got distinction passes or merits for other subjects. So there's three different grading systems on one piece of paper, which as an employee, you look at it thinking, well, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> Are they any good? It, it's a mess. Yes, it seemed to be a change for change's sake, which is what we've been plagued with for quite some time. Hence the uh, desire to put some teachers in charge rather than have it just the, uh, the whim of somebody else who doesn't really understand. The programme that you, you, you've got going on now with the, uh, the parents you're working with, have you had any parents contacting you from kids in younger age groups? We have some people on the on the list, the mailing list, uh, and on the Facebook group, uh, the kind of general Facebook group, who are trying to get ahead of the curve and figure stuff out early. Um, we had someone join this morning, in fact, who'd put in the comments that um, their oldest had just gone through their GCSEs, but it was last year, so they didn't really get to do it properly. And now they've got a child in year nine who will be starting their GCSEs next year. And so they, they just want the extra support because they don't know what to expect. But yeah, we're, um, we're, we're not quite geared up yet 
to support the younger students we're trying to not bite off more than we can choose so that we can make sure we support everybody properly and um, but at some stage so the plan is um <laughs> i think the plan is we're certainly going to go to year 13 for next year so we've got year 12 members at the moment who will graduate to year 13 next year obviously and once we've done that then we're going to start looking at key stage three starting in year seven and probably starting with that learning to learn that Emily talked about if students know how their brain can take on information better they're going to be better at their uh, the whole way through their school life school mm-hmm. career Indeed. Or secondary school. do you think that will well if everything goes well and you're you know you're getting great feedback from from parents and really helping the kids can you see a situation where maybe you're taking on other former teachers or, or training people or whatever the case might be and then expanding over more year, more school years? We've had lots of requests from uh, people we used yeah. to work with saying... Uh, Got a list. <laughs> yeah, uh, almost in, in, in order of uh, when they contacted us saying, oh, please, can you... I think rescue me was the phrase that a few of them have used. So we, you know, we have fabulous plans for uh, the Parent Guide to Education brand um, and it hopefully will require taking on additional staff, additional skill sets to help us achieve that. Yeah, definitely, particularly if we end up going back more towards primary age, because again, with SATs and things that kids are working towards, parents could use the support. There's a lot of stuff that they're being taught. I mean, you know, I I have a degree, Paul has a degree, but when she was doing, what was it, fronted adverbials (laughs) in year four or five, I just wanted to cry. I don't know what those are. I, I understand the rules of grammar. I can write very eloquently, but oh my goodness, if you asked me to find you a fronted adverbial, unless it literally kicked me in the face, I'm not mm. sure I could. I dare say, because it's been six months since you did it, I dare say she can't remember what a fronted adverbial is either, because it really <laughs> isn't something that's going to help her in later exactly. life. But yeah, if we if we expand backwards as well then we'll definitely need to take on subject experts because again we don't want to be in charge not knowing what we're talking about so uh, we need to make sure that the advice we're giving is the right stuff that comes from people with experience so yeah that's uh, that's the plan i would imagine that when you first started thinking about this and you first started putting this in place and, and that's when things were still normal um and, that, and when things were, were normal, before this whole pandemic started, there was a clear summer break where you, yourselves could have time off. But I'm guessing this year, did, did you really get time to have a, have a break? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it was, it was a fairly mad summer. But um, we, we did have, because it was out of lockdown, wasn't it? So we did have a couple of weeks where we were on holiday. But um, unfortunately, our holidays now require us to take laptops and everything with us just in case. So Emily was doing live uh, Facebook broadcasts uh, when the latest bit of government um, disinformation information came out to uh, to help our parents through yes. that particular um, period. Video bombed by several people while trying to do it, which was quite entertaining. We were actually on holiday when uh, A level results came out, or results came out, and then were rescinded, and then they went to centre assess grades. So um, yeah. That was uh, and that was our twins getting their uh, results. So that was not a great, not a great week, to be honest. Yes, we uh, we got a bit of a break. I mean, largely that was that was our choosing. We chose to push forward with Parent Guide to Post Sixteen because we knew that this year's Year Twelves needed us way too much to delay and not be able to help them. So um, so we were pushing through a launch for then 
two separate groups of people, which took up a lot of time and energy. And uh, things are actually a lot calmer now, now that we're through the launch period. We launch once a year, so we only open the membership up at the start of the school year. Um, And then the rest of the year is just about serving our members and, and making sure they're fully supported. So we get a bit more of a break now, really. So it's not it's not too terrible, although I would have liked a little bit more of my summer, I think. <laughs> talking about having a break, I mean, we, we were talking before about the, the stress that teachers are under, and I imagine with the whole way things have panned out this year that they wouldn't have got a break. You know, and you talked about the, the, uh, the image that the – the Red Tops portray about you know teachers having so much time off and doing nothing. Whereas this year, I mean, they because of the amount of stuff they had to do in term time alone, they they need they hugely need that break. I would imagine. And so this year, I wonder if they've had a break. Well, I mean, the summer was certainly tricky for them because um, most year groups didn't really go back properly at the end of the last school year. So in September, all the classrooms had to be fully complying with the new COVID rules and that wasn't going to happen without teachers going in over their summer and and making sure that everything was um, was as it needed to be. So there was certainly a, a very um, shortened summer holiday for most teachers. And if you go back to uh, Easter and then May half term, schools were open. I, people keep announcing that schools have been closed. Schools have never been closed. Schools may have only been open to a smaller number of kids but that's still just as hard work. And, uh, you know, they were normally, they would have had two weeks off over Easter and a week off over May half term to recover and reset. That hasn't happened because they've had to be open to look after the children of key workers and things. And so they've, they've not had any of this downtime to recover. Heads aren't getting their weekends at the moment because track and trace has been kind of devolved almost into schools and heads are having to deal with that stuff for their pupils. So even over the weekend, heads are in charge of and have to stay on top of all that stuff. They are not getting any kind of break at all. And it's just, it's going to, it's going to break a lot of people, I think. Um, one, one of the reasons I, I mentioned that is I, I read a book recently by a guy called Alex Pang. And the book was called Rest Why you get more work done when you work less because it's just, um, yeah, if someone tries to do a 12-hour day and someone else does a four-hour day, the person doing four hours will get far more done and mm. they'll be far more productive than the person trying to do it in 12 hours. Yeah. And that, But also he talks about the importance of having breaks and only working maybe four, four days a week and, you know, and just the importance of play and, and all of this. And I'm just thinking – from what you're describing, apart from the stress that teachers were getting because of all of the mad stuff going on anyway, this is just compounding it hugely. Yeah, they really are crawling towards Christmas. And and then you add to that the fact that because, because the government have basically banned schools from finishing early there was a trust up in the north who wanted to close their schools a week early so that everybody had time to properly quarantine before christmas so that they could spend time with their families without worrying they were then banned from doing that by the dfe in a in a gentle unofficial but it's tough you're banned kind of way and that means that schools break up what a week before christmas and so if somebody is in contact with another student on the last day of term Five, six days later is when they 
on average starts showing symptoms, well, that's the day before Christmas Eve. So that's not going to work out very well for students and their families and teachers and and their families. families. So the majority of teachers are saying, well, I'm just not going to spend Christmas with my family because I can't isolate. I I can't be sure that I'm safe to be around and I don't want to bring COVID back to the family over over the holidays. So they're not even going to get the semblance of a proper Christmas because that's been taken out of their hands. And that's obviously never covered in the press. What you do see in the press is that teachers aren't working hard enough. And um, and by the way, they get two and a half weeks for Christmas and you know, 13 weeks across the whole year and it's an easy job. Yeah. And, and they've just been told there's a pay freeze again, yeah. which means that if you take inflation into account, it's basically just been a pay cut every year the last decade, I think. Pretty much, yeah. I think uh, it was... There were two two years of pay rises over the last eight years. Yeah. You talked earlier about the, the countries that are doing things better in terms of schooling. There are countries where teachers are a highly regarded profession. Like sort of, you know, your doctors, your lawyers, your judges, that kind of equivalent. That level of respect makes a massive difference. And it's something that we have not had in a very long time in this country. How's that going to attract new teachers when, as you said, there's already a shortage? It's just there's, there's no long term. Yeah, the shortage is getting far worse. I mean, the old uh, the school I used to work at um, has got huge problems trying to attract um, quality staff to yeah. uh, to fill their classrooms. And they're having to bribe people to become teachers, and then what happens is they stay for as long as they have to to yeah. legally get that bribe, that bursary, that whatever it is, and then they go. Um, I mean, we're we're quickly running out of time here. It's, it's flown by. But if people want to find out more about your course and, and what, what it is you do, where, where are the best places for them to look? So if they head to parentguidetogcse.com or parentguidetopost16.com uh, or they search for either of those things on Facebook, they'll find our page in our group. It's a great community for parents to, to go and, and vent because you know when you have toddlers there's loads of facebook groups for you when you have teenagers not so much so we thought we'd build one so parent guide to gcse parent guide to post 16 and if you i mean we've we've mentioned um a couple of books during the course of the the recording but are there any books that either between you or you can do one each that you'd recommend or it doesn't have to be one it can be more than one that you would recommend to people it doesn't necessarily necessarily have to be what we're talking about it could be a book that's really inspired you or it's just thrilled you or, or whatever uh, i'm only going to have one but um we're, we're part of a business mentoring group where uh, we came across uh, an author called john lamerton and he wrote a book called routine machine and it kind of a lot of what he says resonates through our program because uh, setting up a, your teenager with a routine is going to help them be more effective at their revision at their learning and um, it, you know, it's not aimed at his book is not aimed at uh, at teenagers. It's a business book essentially, but um, it's really good. Um, talks about uh, he's very funny as well. Just the, the benefits to um, getting things done, making sure that you focus on the one thing, get it done, and then sort of everything else is uh, once you've won the day, uh, everything else that you do on that day is 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 a bonus. Indeed, and then I from from a business point of view. I would recommend anything by Daniel Priestley, so particularly Oversubscribed, um, which is a superb way of looking at creating the demand for your business rather than 
waiting and hoping that people come to you. And the person of influence, which is a great way of, of looking at building authority within your, your niche. And then I'm, I'm going to be super cheeky and suggest that if you've been listening to this, it's probably because you're the parent of teenagers, which means if you've got GCSEs coming up, I'd highly recommend, mostly because I wrote it, the GCSE Survival Guide for Parents, which is available via all good bookstores, so long as they're called Amazon. And who wrote that? That would be me. Okay. <laughs> and when did that come out? Uh, July the 1st. So, you know, we're... So it's very fresh, so all, all current material as well. And uh, do you have um, a, a, a quotation that you particularly like that's memorable and, and why? I do. I used to have this on my classroom wall. I literally sat and cut it out of sticky back plastic, Blue Peter style uh, because I thought it was so important. And it goes... If you're unwilling to learn, no one can teach you. If you're determined to learn, no one can stop you. Just thought that summed it all up beautifully. Do you remember who said it? No. (laughs) (laughs) No. I'd probably run out of patience with cutting up letters at that point. Right. And Paul, do you have one? Um, I mean, on our website, um, knowledge beats nagging. Um, and that is we talk about parents if they if they know how to um, how it all works they can get the information across to their teenagers without having to nag them so knowledge beats nagging Paul, Emily it's been it's been a real pleasure it's been a, a very different episode but hugely important um, I, I think quite a few of the audience of this podcast do have children so this could be so much more important than they than they realise. So um, yeah, thank you for taking the time to, to share that information. Well, thank you very much for having us on. Yeah. Next week is episode nineteen with Wesley Tan, who is a runs a gym for gymnastics for adults. Most gymnastic gyms in the UK are aimed at children, but Wesley runs a well a couple of gyms called Former. Um, and they are aimed at adults. They really help adults to improve their strength, their flexibility and their mobility, which is useful in so many different ways. Wesley is also a chiropodist and has been a specialist in, I guess, working with the human body for, for about 20 years now. So that's next week's episode with Wesley Tan. Hope you enjoyed this week's show with Paul and Emily. If you know someone who would really benefit from some of the information they shared, why not share the episode with them? There's, if you know anyone who has children of around sort of 14, 15, 16, especially if they're here in the UK, the, the episode could be of real value to them. And certainly it could be of enormous value to their children's future. So why not share the episode with them? Please do leave a review for us on iTunes or any of the podcast platforms. And if you're there, why not subscribe at the same time? Hope you have a great week.